0: Hi everyone, I'm Carol Wang. Welcome to a special season of Health 101. We're focusing these episodes on what the COVID-19 pandemic has wrought to our health, emotionally, physically, and mentally. And while we're addressing the effects this has had on physicians and their healthcare colleagues, we know these themes are universal. So if you recognize yourself or someone you love in our conversations, we urge you to seek help for yourself or for them. I'll have more resources at the end of the show. And a quick note of gratitude to the Copic Foundation for making this version of Health 101 possible. So the vocabulary of the pandemic, social distancing, quarantining lockdowns has really foreshadowed, I think, the crisis we were going to face when it comes to isolation and relationship strain. And then you put us all together or you put us all apart for a year, and now you get us to this place now. And I think we really have to look at what has happened and where we go from here. And so that is today's topic for our, our podcast, is what do we do about isolation? And so I thought I'd ask. Joan Doughton, I have Dr. Joan Doughton and Dr. Bill Idiot. Joan Doughton is a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and Bill Idiot is head and neck surgeon. And what I wanted to start the conversation with is, what are you seeing in your families? Because I know that the studies seem to indicate that the youngest seem to have the most strain of this isolation period. And how are you watching that dynamic play out in some of your patients and their families?
1: So I would say... Um, a lot we, – we, of course, are seeing a lot of kids with increased anxiety and depression. Um, it's really interesting. Sometimes the younger kids are the ones who are significantly affected. Those kids that are kind of in that magical thinking phase – have had a really hard time thinking about this virus that's out there and how does everybody stay protected from it? Um, that's a really hard concept to wrap their heads around. Toddlers, they just needed to know, you, you gotta wear the mask and you gotta wash your hands and you know parents will keep you safe and they're okay. Um, but there is kind of an age range that I think has probably struggled a little bit more to just understand the whole concept. Teenagers, I think, you know, have understood the concept, but have also had higher anxiety and depression, just dealing with the isolation from friends and teachers and coaches and, you know, their typical daily contacts. So there has been a strain, I would say, you know, across the board.
0: We've talked a lot about physician burnout, and Bill Lidiot has been working with his practice group for a long time, pre-pandemic, we've been talking about physician burnout, and you guys went through some coaching and some real strategies towards dealing with it. What did you see happen during this last year?
2: Well, so it's a, it's a, <laughs> happens to be a really interesting um, proposition that we found ourselves in. So we started this idea of coaching. Um, through some contacts with the Nebraska volleyball team and Coach Cook and uh, the uh, psychologists that, that work with the sports teams, Brett Haskell specifically, and we talked about how it is very similar to be in a team environment in a co- college sport as, as well as a team environment in surgery. And that includes the physicians, the nurses, the techs, the, uh, the patient, every, and the, the clinic staff, and all, all the people that work in this team. And so we thought, let's use some of the same ideas uh, in terms of team building, in terms of trusting each other, um, and really individual things, such as sleep, uh, nutrition, uh, making sure you eat enough times. You know, we all know that glucose. Uh, even though uh, we don't like to think that, we change our ability to to make uh, quick decisions with uh, lower glucose and with less sleep. Um, and then also trying to trying to learn uh, better autonomic control. Those are kind of some of the goals. And so the way we Uh, started this project was we did self-assessments, we did uh, the Maslow burnout scale, we did the sleep inventories, and we did actually called a ready band where we actually monitored our sleep for the the people in the study. Then the idea was to have an intervention. Well, it turns out the intervention was COVID um, rather than what our psychologists were going to do. And so um, Dr. Bjornsson, who's a psychologist at UNO, is uh, just – we're just now ramping up to do the interventions. And so uh, kind of serendipitously, we have pre-pandemic assessments. We did uh, an assessment um, in the summer last year as well just because it was COVID and we wanted to know how we were doing. So we did that assessment, and then we're doing another. We'll do another assessment, and we're getting our coaching sessions just starting in the next uh, several weeks. So it's really, you know, what had planned to be, you know, as all studies are, what typically is going to be a six month study turns into a two and a half year study because of the the pandemic. So I guess the short answer to your question is um, we're learning about how it affects uh, us, us as surgeons, us as uh, you know, the nurses and others that are in our group. So we don't know the answer yet.
0: Could you see additional strain in uh, your teams?
2: So according to the study, I can't, I don't know, because I haven't been able to look at the data yet, because I'm, we're still involved in it. Um, but just from the, um, you know, what I saw as CMO in particular is different groups having different levels of stress, primarily as a function of their proximity to COVID patients. And so what you see is that the emergency department, the ICU, uh, the, any any of the COVID wards, those are the areas where both physicians uh, and all, in fact, everyone, whether it's lab uh, radiology, dietary, respiratory therapy, they were the ones that were really on those front lines. They had the most acute stress. But the other part is um, I think there's going to be a, a, a lot of and this. Be I'm very interested to hear uh, what someone who really knows this subject uh, talks uh, is post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. and what we're going to see in in not only those people that were really involved in the day-to-day care, but – also in the surgeons that had to stop their cases. And the, uh, you know, the kind of the the moral conflict of, you know, gosh, here I am talking to my friend, the pulmonologist, who's spending their days in the ICU, and I'm, you know, not doing anything. Or because our clinics were pretty well shut. They weren't shut down uh, explicitly, but Mm -hmm. implicitly, because most patients didn't want to come in.
0: But for in effect, then you ended up being, and both of you, because you went, you, Joan, went to telemedicine because right. as a psychiatrist, that was an easy one, two punch to go to tele. You go to no cases and shut down. And now you guys are all in your own little worlds and completely isolated as well.
1: Yeah. I, that was a very, uh, I mean, from a, technology standpoint it was an easy transition they got us I was we were all very impressed how quickly we were able to shift to telehealth and that part was beautiful to be able to continue offering our services at a time when we you know nobody was sure what was going to happen um, So that part was nice but it it was really hard to suddenly be separated from all of your colleagues, especially our department at children's we we all really, Enjoy that the, the psychiatric providers and the therapists and psychologists, we all can interact so much in regards to our patients, which I think increases quality of care. We're all right there in the same, you know, office space. And suddenly we were all in our own homes and those quick, you know, kind of conversations that happen as you're touching base with everybody had disappeared Um, And that was very tough to be that isolated when you're used to working in a large group and discussing cases or just discussing things in general um, with everybody there.
2: I think that's a really important point. One that, um, you know, we kind of maybe had some idea of beforehand, but this just brought it home that not having that uh, collegial relationship Mm -hmm. um, really does make you feel isolated and less sure of yourself and kind of going down into rabbit holes Mm -hmm. and silos. And the other thing is patient is touching. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you don't you, you know, a physical exam is about feeling the neck, feeling the uh, you know, whatever. And, and so you, without that aspect of care um, you actually, as a provider miss that. I mean, I certainly do. I, I, you know, that, that close proximity, that close contact. And, and then the mask, uh, is also another aspect of where, you know, so much of what we read from people is from the face. And, you know, a lot of that is hidden. And, you know, we have colleagues, uh, who have come on in the last year who we've mm-hmm. never seen, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, except for their eyes. Um, and so it's, it's, um, you know, I think that also adds to the element of, of isolation and, and kind of um, loneliness maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder because I think there is some there are some people who have thrived because they're introverted and this has been a great place for them and, and they got to kind of be in their own little shop. Um And I wonder where that difference is going to play out between the strain of being isolated and how you venture out into the world again. Versus finding your happiness and making amends with what that giving up some of that, I you know, lonely or being alone time is.
1: I, this is, it's going to be really interesting to me. I think so many people through the pandemic had different phases, you know, initially there, there was something really nice about being home <laughs> and spending a lot more time with family and animals and, um you know, things were canceled. And so life just really slowed down. And you were finding yourself, I think some families were finding themselves, you know, let's play some board games or something, we got to do something with our time. Um, and so that part, there was there were parts of the pandemic that I think we all kind of want to remember, I hope we all remember and kind of take with us. Um, but the, the isolation is the other side of it. And there, you know, there are lots of um, reports coming out now about the anxiety of even just small talk now. We're, we're not used to it anymore. And so how do you do small talk? How do you know when it's time for you to leave a conversation? <laughs> um, you know, all of those kind of social cues that we just haven't had to use for a, a year. We're going to have to kind of spruce up our social skills again, all of us. Um, and I and every individual is going to have to find a balance again between how much social contact they want versus some of the things that we all got out of the pandemic that we found really, um, you know, lift us up or fill our buckets. Kind of how do we maintain some of those things as we re-enter kind of what life was like before the pandemic?
2: You know, I, I just wanted to th- throw out an idea about introversion and extroversion. You know, extroverts gain energy from being around people, and and introverts it takes energy to be around. But I I think even introverts gain energy from one on one or one on two mm-hmm. conversations and and relationships and closer relationships. So I think it's going to have an effect on both, since that was your question mm-hmm. was about extroverts and introverts. Um, it's pretty obvious what it does to the extroverts. Um, you know, in my own family, I have one, you know, very extroverted son and, uh, you know, unfortunately he got, he had to miss his, you know, college graduation, his, you know, his white coat ceremony and all these things that are big, kind of, again, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, singular events in our lives. And, you know, it really was a, a, a uh, you know, un- very, I felt very badly for him and unfortunate for him. Um, And the other two kids were less, probably less affected. But I think still, just not being around even a small cadre of people Mm -hmm. was hard.
0: Well, and in some ways, when we look at human development, and we usually think those, those childhood years are those key years in human development, but hopefully we are all developing and every year we're growing. But in some ways, I would say we basically all got stunted for a year. Because everything was put on hold, any plans you made, you know, you just were living kind of moment by moment into this unknown. And I wonder what that does for human development and I, and emo, you know, psychologically, physically, emotionally, mentally, all of the above.
1: Uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. You know, were we all kind of stunted during this time? I don't know. I think a lot of people spent a lot of time doing more introspection than they've ever done. Um, and I th- in in some ways, that is amazingly helpful for kind of continued growth and looking at priorities and what's important and um, all of those things. I think those were the lucky people. <laughs> um, I think there are a lot of families who were all frontline slash essential workers living in multi-generational households and those folks I don't know that they had time to do the introspection I think they had a lot more anxiety and stress about just how do we survive day to day um and I don't know about stunted growth during a time like that I think that's also another level of again what are my priorities in my life and how do I keep the most important people safe and you know healthy and moving forward um so I don't know. That's an interesting concept. I don't know that I would say that everybody was stunted.
0: It's just going to be interesting because I, I even think basic research, There a lot of that mm-hmm. didn't get moved forward. And so even professionally growth has, you know, you probably did some seminars via Zoom. but. Mm-hmm.
2: No, th- that's actually another area where it's really changed things, uh, the virtual versus uh, in-person conferences. And uh, certainly, you know, for some period of time, we didn't hold conferences, um, and then we started to hold them virtually, and it, there, there wasn't the same kind of, uh, kind of uptake of, of information, and it wasn't quite as giving because you're not physically the, uh, in the same location. It was good. It, it's, it's like telehealth. I mean, telehealth in some ways – did things really well and made it really convenient for the patient. You know, our patients out in North Platte and other mm-hmm. places, that's wonderful. You know, they don't have to drive all across the state to get, but we can't physically see them and feel the, their neck and those kinds of things. Um, so it's, it's been a balance. I guess as an optimist, I see it as uh, an opportunity for some of those people to be more uh, introspective and, and a kind of the uh, decluttering of Mm -hmm. your lives and realizing, you know, uh, it's been a year since I've been to a six-year-old soccer game and it it was okay, you know, and and it's where you miss some of those things, but you also see, you know, we had so many of those things that we were churning. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I think you also make a really good point about um, the difference between those frontline workers, the, the people that really were, in harm's way okay. uh, before the vaccine came out um, or having to trust their PPE or having to go work extended shifts uh, was, you know, was brutally hard and, and be isolated and fearful that they're bringing something to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, the stress of that is going to be, um, I think, manifest over quite a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's the, you know, that's a real question mark I think in the world is what happens when the fight or flight stops and the adrenaline stops and this exhaustion is it short term it you know I, I I liken it to like the sleep debt when you mm-hmm. haven't slept enough the night before and you try to sleep more the next day to make up for it because you're exhausted you know do you get over that level of exhaustion? And I don't know what that answer looks like.
2: Well, so one, I, one of the things that I've been interested in from a research perspective and our group has been interested in is prevention of depression in patients going through head and neck cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more broadly, it's, it's that we are really uh, trying to mitigate that uh, stress response that you get from unpredictable events. Um, And I think this is going to be the same thing that, you know, many people went through with these unpredictable stressors where patients would just crash like right before your eyes and, you know, they were fine and now they're not. And, and that's a very, very stressful event. And so I think you, we will see some longer term effects and it'll be essentially a, a post traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, that's where resiliency comes in and what, you know, what, Options we have for uh, trying to develop resiliency uh, among our workforce, among our physicians, among those uh, particularly at at risk, but also those that may not know they're going to be at risk.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would agree. I would echo what you're saying. Even just, there there are all of these moments of sort of acute stress that were happening, acute um, decisions needing to be made, things that were unexpected, but there was also just a high level of chronic stress through the year on top of that. And so um, I do think there are going to be long-term effects for, for if we're talking just folks in the medical field, for, for providers, for nurses, for really truly anybody that works in the medical environment um, are going to have long-standing effects from this. Um, and I think initially even that sense that sort of our system was not responding in a way that supported everybody well. I think that's another layer to this stress. You know, who do we turn to, to kind of see where support's coming from? And who do we turn to for guidelines for all of this? And it, you know, we were dealing with an unknown entity at the beginning of this pandemic. And so, there wasn't anywhere to turn to say, like, well, this is how we should probably approach this, and we're also used to, you know, we can look this up and figure it out, and it wasn't there. Um, and you couldn't turn to a colleague to say, you know, what are you doing with this? So there's a level of stress for all of us providers who are used to having the answers or at least be close to having the answers.
0: Or a good idea yes. <laughs> of what works or who yes. to ask or some level of even groupthink that could yes. problem-solve something that you know might have some basis of specialties. Right. I think the other thing that is really interesting is because on the flip side, we saw entire families and entire teams, and I think of emergency room teams, but I also think of families who created their own bubbles of of life and I wonder about those relationships because it's like being home with your sibling probably in some cases where some you know you want to kill each other after a (laughs) while and my guess is you know you've I've heard anecdotally that they think divorces are going to go up because people you know birth rates are low because despite the pandemic I thought I would have thought opposite maybe but maybe Mm -hmm. it corresponds with divorce rates potentially um what do we think we're going to see come out in relationships? And is it just once you open the world back up and people get vaccinated and kind of move forward, does space automatically make that all better? Does it take away some of the tensions that are sitting there?
1: No, I think you are right on. I think everybody, I think everyone was predicting birth rates going up and that kind of stuff. And and now everybody looking back is saying, so many people were in survival mode, you know, think and thinking about having another child in the midst of a pandemic that we didn't, after a while, we didn't know when it was going to end. You know, I think initially we, all of us sort of thought, oh, well, a month or two, we can do this kind of thing. Um, and once we knew that it was going to be a lot longer, I think that's when so many people went into survival mode. Um, and so planning to expand your family is not included in that typically. Um, I, I I do think there is going to be sort of long-term reckoning on so many levels. I mean, it's, you know, going through how much can we trust our government, our national government, our local governments, our public health system, our hospitals and providers. How much can I trust, you know, my spouse? You know, going through something so stressful for so long, I think we all take in information around us about who – what was helpful and what was not helpful. And so I do think there's going to be a long-term kind of reckoning of what we all learned during this time, and then decision-making that comes from that. I don't think just opening back up and sort of going back to um, pre-pandemic interactions is going to resolve all of that. I think people have had just a lot more questions and answers to situations that they never thought about before.
2: So I'll, I'll be again the optimist and say that I think that one of the uh, things that I s- expect may happen is people may have may come to the realization that in fact they have gone through something. You know, you've got the World War II generation. Well, they obviously went through something, and and then you know for quite some time, unless you were in the service um, or in, or in isolated kind of areas. You didn't necessarily go through ma- a major collective trauma. You know, I would say 9-11 was, was kind of close, but it wasn't close, you know, like here, you know, while we had the intellectual uh, impact of it and we had a little of the physical impact of it, it wasn't a daily basis and we weren't ourselves feeling necessarily threatened uh, beyond maybe a day or two. And so I, I think this will hopefully give people that sense that actually we have been through something. You know, I think of my parents who went through the depression, um, you know, that, that absolutely stamped on their entire lives a sense of resiliency, I think, that, you know, that we may gain from this, that our mm-hmm. especially our kids.
0: Where do we go from here? How do we make people whole again? <laughs> I, and and it's as simple as going back to some preventive medicine that they clearly have been ignoring. Seeing getting the care they need on that level, I mean that's like basic foundational. But what is it? You know, I think we have people who have chinks in their armor, who have little battle scars, who have, uh, and some of them are big scars, and some of them are trauma. And what does that look like to make a whole, you know, world of people whole?
2: Well, so my advice is to act locally, to act in a way that brings um, meaning and fulfillment to yourself, but also to your community. I think um, one of the again one of the lessons here is the the necessity of relying on each other and the and the and the pain of the absence of it. Um, So I think you know I again hope to see um, more community events, more things to help win the schools, to help in poverty, to help in you know whatever your area of uh, expertise and interest is. Um, I would love to see more local activity because I think that will generate more healing and ultimately do a lot of good as well.
1: Yeah, and I think even going down to sort of a micro level, even within your family, you know taking a look at the folks in your family, and talking about how do we how do we proceed from here at this point? What were the things that we all missed from pre-pandemic? What were the things that none of us really missed? And how do we make some changes to our schedules and our priorities for that? And even talking about that with friends um, and neighbors and looking at how I do feel like we all I hope a lot of people learned that they can be empowered to. To manage so many parts of their lives, um, and, and this gave us all a chance to kind of look more closely at our neighborhoods and our communities and think about, oh, maybe I want to do this differently. Um, so I do think, um, on the optimistic side, that there there is a lot of potential for people to come out of this knowing much more clearly kind of the areas that they can make a difference, both in their own lives and just right around us here in Omaha.
0: We started the discussion, Bill, with you talking about looking at medicine and your team in terms of performance. And I know you were doing some of that in your assessments, but in some of the coaching. What did you learn from that that helped you get through This period of time that you think other people, if they didn't get a chance to learn it, these are valuable lessons that you took away that were good skills that you developed that we probably all should maybe think about having them in our pockets.
2: Well, so I'm going to come back to the two things that I think are fundamental and obvious and, well, well, I can't do anything about it. The reality is you can. Sleep, go to bed earlier, (laughs) and eat snacks or eat regularly. I mean, those are two very simple things, but they're really critical and they're often neglected. The other thing, I think maybe the thing that I um, have found the most useful is, is trying to understand my autonomic system better and understand my stress responses and also my uh, triggers and, and how my physical body responds, what it feels like, what I do, you know, where I tense, those kinds of things and and consciously then trying to undo that or relax it in some way and and by bringing the physical uh aspect of the stress response down back to a more neutral stand it chen, it tends to help with your emotional aspect as well and it keeps you i think with a broader perspective so i i would say that's probably the most important thing i've Learn, well, whether I've learned it or not, <laughs> I, I recognize them.
0: <laughs> Joan, your lessons from dealing with families and seeing that inner working and then also just living it yourself.
1: I think, um, you know, all of what Bill said for sure. And if we don't talk enough as providers about sleep and nutrition and how key those are to our overall physical and emotional health. It's amazing how much those two things can improve um, both physical and mental health. I I think the other thing I would want to emphasize is just knowing your triggers and knowing the opposite of your triggers. So what are the things that actually really relax you? What are the things that bring a ton of happiness or peace to you? And making sure that you're building those in, even if it's 10 minutes or five minutes once a day making sure that that's built in um, to keep you going and kind of fill your energy and fill you to be present in every part of your life that you want to be present in.
0: So the commercial of the mom who locks herself into the bathroom and has the bag of cookies with her yes, because she just (laughs) needs a time out.
1: If that's what fills you, go for it. (laughs) Two that, birds with one stone. Exactly. Nutrition and- <laughs> yeah. Your snack time for your blood levels
0: and,
2: and you're alone
0: You guys, thank you so much. I hope that people give some real thought to where they are, if they need help, what they need, um, do some self-assessment, really listen to themselves, and, and hopefully be well.
2: And Carol, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you and Metro Omaha Medical Society for what you have done, not just through the pandemic, but beforehand. Um, I think the physician wellness uh, work that you've been doing, the grants, the other things that you've uh, achieved, uh, the ability for physicians to call is really a fundamental uh, improvement for our community and for, for the medical society as a whole, whether they're members or not. and uh, I use that um, in when I would speak to the medical staff uh, as one of our um, you know outlets for physicians. So I, I thank you on behalf of all of the physicians.
0: I really hope that if you need help that you seek it, And in whatever way that is, whether it's friendships, whether it is a counselor, whether it is a coach, you know, that you find what it is you need. And that's what I hope for every physician, whether or not you are in the metro area or in your own communities and that there are resources in your communities to get you that. If you or someone you care about needs immediate help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. We also have more resources on our website, omahamedical.com, including an online assessment and options to access care for physicians in the region. Ahura Media Production.